Please rise. Court is now in session. I strenuously object. A legal podcast brought to you by the Pittsburgh law firm of Flaherty Fardo is now in session. All those seeking information about the law and legal matters affecting the people of Pittsburgh and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, half-baked opinions, and a dose of self-indulgence are invited to attend and participate. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The defense strenuously objects. You would! Call the first witness. Okay, hello out there and welcome to this episode of I Strenuously Object, the property tax assessment situation developing always and ever. And this November, it is uh, at least potentially on the ballot uh, as both uh, county executive uh, candidates have kind of staked out different positions uh, on whether we should or should not have a reassessment uh, here in Allegheny County to, to try to correct the the whole property tax debacle interesting to note, you know, we're, we're going to create our own constitutional crisis here, right? Because we're in the world of tax assessment. I'm not sure we're living in a democracy. I was under the impression that this was a monarchy. And so joining us in our property tax assessment monarchy is the queen of tax appeals herself, Nicole Houtman Amick. Also here with us, of course, is uh, my partner in crime, Noah Fardo. We are convening a royal conclave to discuss what whether or not we should have a reassessment and uh and with that welcome to both of you hello good morning greetings so first of all uh nicole and I, I i know coming off this this dominant win by the bills this weekend uh you may be floating high on your royal cloud um but are you worried here that the county executives are are, are stepping on your royal toes uh and and getting into a jurisdictional squabble that they're not outfitted to win it's an interesting because we had Rich Fitzgerald for so long, it hasn't really been something that has been talked about too much. So it's been interesting to see uh, assessments kind of leaking into the political realm where they haven't been in a long time, at least since the last reassessment. So I've been very interested and fielding a lot of questions from a lot of friends and colleagues about what all of this is going to mean come November. Well, look, thumbnail us here, and we're, we're still a month away from the election, and there's time for the candidates' positions to articulate differently or to change, but but can you tell us what the candidates are saying right now? Sure. So uh, Sarah Namorado, uh, the Democratic candidate, has come out more strongly in favor of potentially doing a reassessment in Allegheny County, certainly acknowledging that there are many problems with the current system. She has suggested an approach that would be similar or include some facets of how Philadelphia deals with that, um, including tax breaks for seniors, et cetera, different ways of kind of softening the blow should one occur. Uh, Rocky, the Republican candidate, has come out against reassessments pretty strongly in terms of uh, acknowledging the fact that there are problems with the assessment system in Allegheny County. He certainly does that. I have not seen him really articulate any plan of action of how exactly to fix that, but he seems to be pretty strongly against a reassessment generally. That seems like how I understand the race to be shaping up uh, at, at the moment as well. I, I guess my first question here is, if we need a reassessment, why do we need a reassessment? The short answer is yes, we need a reassessment. Uh, and I say that because the last time we did a reassessment in Allegheny County was in 2012. The markets have changed significantly since then. And the further we get away from that base year, the 2012 base year in Allegheny County, the worse it gets. 
So every year that we continue going on without a reassessment, things continue to become inequitable across the county. And that is evidenced by looking at townhouses or row houses in Lawrenceville, where one neighbor's paying $800 a year in taxes, and the next door neighbor's paying $12,000 a year in taxes. And again, as we continue moving away from that base year, it gets worse and worse as time goes on. Okay, so you're, you're saying the current situation is leading to um, inequitable property taxes, uh, and you explain two neighbors having having different tax rates, wildly different tax rates. You know, multiple one neighbor paying five or ten times as much as the neighbor in very similar homes. Why is that the case? Why is that happening? As the years go on, school districts will file appeals as people buy properties. So for someone that's been in a property since 1980, 1990, when they got their reassessment value in 2012, assuming that they didn't challenge it, that was just their value. That will continue on until another reassessment happens. But when someone sells a property, so if I bought a property in 2018, 2019, really any time after 2012, typically if there's a difference between a purchase price and an assessment value, that assessment is going to be appealed by a school district and go up. So as time goes on and more of these appeals are filed, the new property owners, which are many, uh, there's been many transactions, as you can imagine, since 2012, continue paying higher and higher rates while people that have been in properties for a long time continue to stay at the same value. And that will, again, continue until there is a reassessment. So as time goes on, again, things continue becoming worse and worse and worse. Your Majesty, with all due respect, I strenuously object. By which I mean, you're, you're right, of course, that this is where the inequity is. But, but what I would suggest is to fix that inequity, inequity, what's the cost? What's the other thing that we're allowing to happen, right? So, I mean, first of all, you know, I've certainly heard it said that basic, and, and I think most people operate this way, that a reassessment is basically just a longer, fancier word for a tax increase. Is that right? No. That is an easy thing for people to say to scare property owners. Now, certainly if a reassessment happened, some people would see their taxes increase. Absolutely. Many people would see their taxes decrease. And some people would certainly see no change to their taxes. I recently saw an article that said if a reassessment happened, one third of people would see their taxes go down. One third of people would see their taxes stay the same. And one third of people would see an increase of some kind. Um, just because assessments go up, millage rates then have to come down to adjust for that. So you're dealing with a different calculation and it's not something where everyone would get a new assessment and everyone in Allegheny County would see an increase to their taxes. That's not how that would go. Well, I mean, not right away, right? So there is state law that basically it's an anti-windfall provision that says that when there is a reassessment, the taxing bodies are required by state statute, which is the state sits with more power over top of the county, the school boards, the municipalities, and the state says, you guys have to adjust and fix your millage rate to be approximately revenue neutral. I think they're not allowed to gain more than some, I, I don't 2%. know the number, maybe two and a half percent or something like that. Okay. I thought it was 5%, but okay, maybe it's two. Actually, I think it is yeah. 5% after I said that. So go back. Sorry. That's all right. That's why I'm here. Fact checking. Way to chime in. <laughs> Good work, Noah. You're our live Snopes representative here. Fact check us accordingly. That said, that, that provision's really only in place the first year, right? Um, if the millage rates go way down for a particular school or a particular municipality, nothing stops them from 
jacking that millage rate back up over the next two, three, four, five years in a way that does turn this into a admittedly multi-step process, but but a, a slow walk nonetheless into a tax increase for basically everyone. Well, I think you can look at what happened after 2012, because that's the most recent time that that happened here. We haven't seen these crazy changes, like you're saying, um, in many areas. But it's interesting because now with the common level ratio going down significantly, as more owners are filing appeals to try to bring their taxes back in line with where they should be, we're starting to see millage rates go up. In some areas, I think they're going to go up significantly next year, for example, because as more more owners are filing appeals and getting their assessments down, their taxes down, they're losing the taxes. The taxing bodies are losing that revenue. So we're actually starting to see the opposite happen, where owners are causing millage rates to go up because their taxes are too high and they're actually challenging it right now. So either way, I think we're kind of coming to a head where something's going to need to give. And I think the thing that makes the most sense and would be easiest to do would be a reassessment. I'll chime in, Bill. You asked, do we need a reassessment? No, but if you want taxpayers as a whole to be treated more fairly, then you have to do a reassessment. Because when you tax only once every decade, or in this case, 11, 12 years, with the school districts appealing the recent home buyers, it increases the disparities among what people are paying. So if you want to treat everyone fairly, yes, you need a reassessment. But like you said, people equate a reassessment with raising taxes. And no matter how well you explain, that's not necessarily true. The fact is, if you do a reassessment, some people's assessments is going to go from 300000 to 900000 from 400000 to $1.2 million. And when you get great increases like that, even if they're isolated or even if they're only 15% of the assessments, yes, a reassessment is going to increase people's property taxes. And that's why it's the ultimate political hot potato over the last 25 years. Well, that's right. And and look, I get on just like a base visceral intellectual level that the idea that two basically identical houses that are next door to each other, one of them is assessed at $600,000 and one of them is assessed at $60,000 because one of them has sold in the past two years and one of them hasn't sold in 40 years. That feels unjust. On the other hand, if you're the person living in that house that's assessed at $60,000 who's lived there for 30 or 40 years, if your taxes increase based upon your neighbor selling, right, now you're in a situation where I can't afford my tax bill anymore. My tax bill, my tax, my taxes get reassessed. I'm now paying the same amount approximately as my neighbor. My neighbor, however, recently bought the house paid $600,000 for the house, is able to plan and account for what his taxes are going to be when he moves in. And here I am on a fixed income. I've been here for 30 years. I have no choice but to sell. So well, the reason not to reassess, right, is the people who are underassessed right now, if you quote unquote fix it or make it quote unquote equitable, a lot of those people, especially in neighborhoods where there's, you know, a lot of these kind of you know, refurbished houses and radically increasing property tax or our property values as these neighborhoods sell are literally going to be forced to sell their homes because they have no other option. I have two comments on that. The first of which is that happens to people that recently buy houses too. I have a lot of clients that are senior citizens or on fixed incomes that buy a property basing that mortgage payment on their current taxes. And when the school district appeals and the taxes go up significantly in some situations, I have those clients telling me, I can't afford this house. 
if I had known that my taxes were going to increase 10 times because a reassessment hasn't happened in, t- in 12 years, I would not have bought this house because I can't afford it. I'm on a fixed income. So that happens that way too, which is something that people don't talk about in that direction. They just talk about the people that have been living in their houses for 40 years. But there's people on fixed incomes that buy properties now too. Well, it's, so, isn't that a buyer beware situation, right? Like I feel bad for a property owner who bought their house, a house that was radically underassessed expecting that their taxes were going to say the same, get appealed and their taxes go up. But that is a predictable outcome, right? Everyone knows there's this welcome to the neighborhood tax. No, and- people don't, not everyone knows that. I mean, we're, we're in this space. So I, I think that everyone knows it too, because I know it and this is what I do every day. But I talk to many, many people who are relocating from, to live near their grandkids from Florida, who are relocating from California to work and they've never lived here before. Not everyone knows that that's going to happen. So I talk to a lot of people who say, no one told me about this. I didn't know that my taxes were going to go up. My mortgage payment was based on, you know, X amount of dollars. And now they're telling me I owe four times as much. Like what, this has never happened anywhere else I've lived. This is not something that I knew was going to happen. So yes, some people know about it, but not everyone does. So it's definitely something that's out there. Yeah. And I think half of the real real estate agents will update the clients about what's to ha- about to happen and half don't. So you'd be surprised at how many times people don't know. The question I have for both of you is which candidate is right? If this is such a major political issue and you're voting just based on property taxes, who should you vote for? I'm going to hard veto the thing that you're doing. Well, no, have some fun with this. I mean, why? Now we're going to start editing this show? You can't do it. Yes, Answer the question. you can Listen, do it. Who's right? Well, why don't, why don't we, we just re- focus it on this specific issue? That's what I'm saying. If you're voting, if you're a single voter issue. Because I don't, about- because the thing you're doing is going to force us in as much as we're paying to put this online to make campaign finance disclosures. Um, like, I want, you, I want you everything can't play around with candidate advocacy in this I'm form. I'm not you advocating for I'm asking you, what are the pros and cons? You're if not. I'm a, if I'm a the way you worded issue. the question was, who's right if you're voting on this issue? That's candidate advocacy, and it's a it's a potential. Now we may be small enough to fly under the radar and have nobody care, but technically speaking, there's problems here with basically turning this into a campaign ad for one of the candidates and paying to put it online. I'm trying to help people understand who care about property assessments. What's the implication? Of doing a reassessment versus not doing a reassessment. Which means you cannot ask which candidate is right. Let me ask you two a question. What are the pros and cons for me, Joe homeowner, of a reassessment versus a not, not a reassessment? Are my taxes going up? Are my taxes not going up? What are the strengths and weaknesses of each well, well that's what we've been that's what we've been talking about, right? It depends I know, on I know. who your it depends on who your Joe homeowner is. If Joe homeowner just bought his property in the last couple of years, a reassessment is mostly good for you um, because it's gonna make sure that you're not the one carrying the burden in your taxes for your neighbors who haven't recently sold and who are underassessed. On the other hand, if you're a Joe homeowner and if you've lived in the same house for 30 years and your neighbors have been selling for, for way, way more than what you paid and what you're assessed at, then obviously a reassessment is going to be bad for you. Now, it's bad for you in some sense because you are, notionally speaking, underassessed and we're correcting that underassessment. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> what's the line? I've, ne- I've never heard a corpse ask how it got so cold, right? It doesn't matter how it is. Uh, you can call it correcting 
an underassessment all you want. If I'm Joe homeowner and my taxes are going up, telling me that I've been underpaying for a decade doesn't make me feel any better about that. Well, I think there was some interesting things that were done when Philadelphia just did a reassessment, which is something that Sarah Namorado has talked about, which is trying to help homeowners in terms of softening the blow to certain homeowners. Um, something that Philadelphia did was they increased the homestead exemption on properties. So if it's your primary residence, which these longtime homeowners, that's you know who we're talking about, that's presumably where they live. Um, it increased the exemption by doubling it. So that helps save these you know, primary resident people property taxes. That's not going to help a developer, but that's not who we're trying to help here. Uh, another thing they did was they have a program for people that have lived in their homes for a certain amount of years. I believe it's income-based uh, help significantly soften you know, the additional taxes that they would have to pay. So I think it's a really complicated issue. There's certainly no easy way. There's no easy answer. I think if there was, someone would have already done it. But I think the only way that you can fix it now, because we're too far gone, is to do a reassessment. I think if you did it every three years or five years even, you you do away with a lot of these problems because that eliminates these shockingly huge increases because there's not enough time for that to happen over that time period. And I think that if you can build in some way of helping people through some income-based or uh, residency requirement uh, caveat in this, you can really help the people that were worried about hurting through this while also accomplishing kind of bringing us back to square one in terms of assessment. Yeah, I look, there is a solution to the assessment problem out there. What the, the answer is not the extremes, either do nothing or just do a reassessment and leave it a go again. That's not the answer. Because when you do the extremes, it hurts a lot more people. But Philadelphia is the leader in this right now. And it's a combination of raising the homestead exemption, giving you a more a larger tax break if it's your primary residence. It's a great idea that if people have been in their home for a long time and have a fixed income, we're not kicking them out of their house. So you have to have barriers to protect longtime homeowners. But the real answer to what Philadelphia is doing is reassessments every three years. Because a reassessment is not a bad thing in and of itself, unless you do it and then do nothing for the next five, seven. And the longer you get from the reassessment, the more harm you have to the collective taxpayers. So I think there is an easy solution. Um, it's interesting that I think one of the candidates, maybe both, are talking about it. I don't know. I well, can't even so pronounce their names. Honestly, I can't <laughs> pronounce either name. Here's the problem with regular reassessments. I think they make sense conceptually if you're doing them really well, but doing a reassessment, whether it's every 10 years or every three years, right? Every reassessment you do is expensive and every reassessment is going to make some number of mistakes, right? And have to be available to have someone say, well, Hey, this reassessment, when you reassessed me, you got it wrong, right? We saw that in 2002 or, the, or the shortly thereafter when we did the 2002 base year, we saw it again in 2012. The last two times this county has done mass reassessments, the numbers have been all over the map. Are we now talking about doing that every three years? Well, I think, I think part of that is don't wait so long because when you wait so long, there's so many other variables that come into play. Whereas if you do it every three years, you're not starting from, you know, that long ago. When you, t when you do 10 years, especially these last 11 years, 12 years, how much has changed with property since the 2008 recession to today? I mean, it's, 
it's astronomically different. So look, I look, I, I wholeheartedly believe the argument that reassessments mean an increase in taxes is a winning political argument. But look at the market, real estate market fluctuations in Allegheny County since 2008. I mean, if you put that on a stock graph chart or, you know, it's been up, it's been down, it's it was down up during COVID. Now it's down again. I mean, without periodic reassessments, it's a mess. And that's what we have right now is how many appeals are filed this year, Nicole? 20,000, 25,000? Yeah, I think 30,000. Yeah, and this is a non-reassess. I mean, this is like nothing. In 20, uh, what, what year are we? 2023, we have 30,000 appeals filed and we were 13 years or 11 years removed from the reassessment. It makes no sense. So you're doing just, you're spending just as much money filing 30,000 appeals as you are what it would have cost to do a reassessment. And you can't tell me with AI technology these days that we can't create some computer system that's cost effective to value properties, especially when we just did it a couple years ago, have to be able to. I would have to assume that, you know, the first one that we do is going to, there's going to be growing pains for sure. I mean, there'll be a lot of appeals, all that. Once we get over that, if we do it again in three or five years, instead of just like leaving it open-ended forever, I think you kind of cut down on the expense of appeals to the county because those are expensive as well. It's free to file appeals. So it's free for the property owner, but it's not free for the taxpayer because who's paying for all that infrastructure? We are as taxpayers. So I think when you look at it over time, I understand what you're saying. It's certainly expensive. The first time it would be expensive and growing pains for sure. But if we did it regularly, I think we'd cut down on that significantly over a pretty short period of time. It makes sense to to make sure we think about and factor in the costs of the the infrastructure of the current system. On the other hand, certainly the first time, I mean, remember how many different hearing officers there were back when the reassessment was happening, how many appeals there were, were like $30,000 or 30,000 appeals is a drop in the bucket compared to reassessing what, 200 or 300,000 properties? 586,000 properties in Allegheny County. So back in 2012, there was 100,000 appeals that were filed. And then as we started getting away from the base year, there's still 10, 15,000 appeals per year that are filed. And now because the, the ratios are changing so much, we're back up to 25,000, 30,000 a year. I mean, that's going to continue happening until we do a reassessment. So it, it's, you know, there's no easy answer. As I said, it's certainly not, it's a very complicated issue. There's going to be winners and losers in it, no matter what you do. But continuing on with this is just making it worse and worse and worse every year. We don't do anything to change. Well, it. let me ask it this way too: Can a county executive stop a reassessment? You know, the last two times that we've had reassessments, they've been ordered by the court, and there has been rumblings from school districts that are now losing tax money hand over fist with all these owner-filed appeals. They're starting to get on, on board with a reassessment as well. So I think it's going to happen one way or another, whether that be a county executive ordering it, whether that be a court ordering it through a lawsuit that's filed by either a property owner or a taxing entity. Um, I think we're going to end up there sooner than later. Yeah, Bill, the most important thing that the county needs to start doing is do what Beaver County did this year. They did a reassessment, but they really started it two years before the tax bills came due. And they allowed you to appeal that assessment a year before your tax bills came due. In 2002 and 2012, when we did the reassessment, there was an informal process in one of those, but it really just reassessed and then sent you the tax bills and you had to pay pending the appeal. And that was a horrible idea. 
the whole system that we've got right now where you know at the end of your tax appeal process you either get a refund check or you end up owing a whole bunch more money as the appeals take years to to process uh you know to me one of the benefits to some sort of hard reset on this system it obviously makes sense to be doing these things proactively and not retroactively and and basically say look if this is your tax for this year and you want to appeal for next year go ahead but this year's already done right let's just talk about future tax years yeah, and I, I had a hearing this morning, uh, and I was talking to the hearing officer, and he was asking me, Nicole, have you gotten any decisions yet for this year? Because they don't, the hearing officers don't know how quickly you know, they make the sausage in the back in terms of sending out decisions. And I was telling him and talking with the school district solicitor who was also on the phone, I have not received any decisions for any hearing I've done this year, which started in May. I am just starting to now receive decisions for hearings I attended in June of 2022. So what's happening is we're getting these decisions because there's been so many appeals that were filed, so many lawsuits because this is such a mess, so many lawsuits have delayed everything, that we're getting 2022 decisions in late 2023. Property owners are getting this decision sometimes after they've already received an additional tax bill for 2022 and 2023, which you have to pay regardless of if you appeal it or not. So, you know, these people are being hurt too because, you know, even though I tell my clients, this is going to relate to 2022, no matter when we get it, we might not get it till next year. A lot of people don't know that. So they're going to be getting these additional tax bills. And this, again, all is stemming from the mess that is the assessment process right now. Well, does, do, so, does doing a reassessment do anything to clear up that backlog? No, but it would help avoid it from happening forever into the future, because right now I'm not seeing really an end to it. Uh, hopefully we get caught up, but it's just, again, with the litigation challenging so many aspects of how this works, everything is so delayed that I'm not sure when and if we're going to get caught up. I'm attending hearings now telling people we might not get a decision until next summer. I don't know. Uh, I'm not in charge, uh, but everything is taking a really long time. Not to mention that the tax appeal process, which should have an, a, a two-level appeal system, and it does, but the second level of the appeal system, which most of these cases go to the second level, is another 12 to 18 months. So you have cases here where somebody's filed an appeal against them. They've gone a year and a half still waiting for a decision. They're going to appeal that decision and go another year and a half. And now we're litigating three years of assessments and have significant implications both ways. Either they owe a ton of money or they're getting a lot of money back. Yeah, I will say the Board of Viewers has done a lot to clear out the backlog at that level because with no decisions coming out from the first level, they're trying to clear their cases out. So they've been scheduling actually pretty quickly. But as Noah said, I, it's October. I'm getting decisions for last year now. So if I file an appeal today, which my office is, our office is filing appeals today for a bunch of people we just got decisions for, a hearing will not be scheduled until next year. So these people are going to have to pay three years of taxes all basically at one time. And then we're fighting to get money back when it's not their fault that it's been taking so long. So it's, it's not helping anybody. It's really not helping anybody. Yeah. I mean, obviously the backlog's bad. I just, I just do think it's interesting how the issues of a reassessment and all of this kind of procedural backlog litigation over the CLR get lumped together when really, whether we reassess or not, we're talking about past years with all the litigation and the backlog and the CLR and a reassessment isn't going to change your taxes for past years. And it isn't going to move those cases any closer to completion.
it won't change that, but it will help us avoid that from happening forever, which is kind of what we're looking at now. And, and I think we're just going to continue seeing litigation, whether that be school district filed or property owner filed changes to the ratio cause big shifts in terms of how many appeals are filed. So this system will continue being limping along broken until we actually take a step to change it and fix it. And doing nothing, I think, is not the answer. So the last thing I really want to circle back to here, the thing that's triggered the court challenge or the, the court ordered reassessments in the past is court application of the uniformity clause that requires taxes to be uniform in, in the state constitution. This is a state constitutional issue where essentially by not reassessing people, courts eventually find when it gets out of whack enough that, you know, treating properties that have tripled and quadrupled in value and treating properties that are stagnant or even declining in value um, fundamentally is not treating those properties the same. If you're taxing those properties the same, even though one area is wildly appreciating and the other is not, that is fundamentally unfair to the people in typically poorer, non, you know, uh, non-inflating uh, property value type neighborhoods. And that's usually the thing that has in the past couple occasions triggered uh, intervention by the courts to force the county to do something different. It's interesting to note that the state constitution, while it generally speaking requires uniformity and doesn't, for example, allow us to treat residential and commercial properties different. You can't just like tax commercial properties at five times the rate as residential properties, even if that would be a pretty popular plan uh, without amending the constitution to allow it. But the state constitution does allow uh, a bunch of different kind of classifications of property where you can't necessarily exempt them wholesale uh, from taxes, but you can reduce that tax burden or make partial exemptions or whatever. We, we talked about the homestead exemption already as one of these, right? Owner-occupied residential properties can be treated differently at least, you know, after or after or up to a certain point, right? And, you know, we have a homestead exemption that sets it at, what is it now, 15, 18,000? 18,000. 18, and, but there's no reason we couldn't, as far as I'm aware, set it at 100 or 150,000, which would make a lot of people in residential neighborhoods that aren't the everything but the kind of top end functionally exempt from from property taxes. There are also ways you can treat these things differently for disability or infirmity uh, or just the age, right? There are senior citizen tax abatements that a person can apply for where literally we will tax you differently based upon whether the owner occupier of your property is 65 versus 64, right? Everywhere where you draw one of these lines, you end up with something that looks a little bit like an injustice because you have to draw a line somewhere. Um, but you can protect specifically older people. Actually, the, the Constitution allows you to income test this and to exempt or partially exempt or otherwise give a tax break to people based upon the earned income coming into that specific house. Now, no, there are no uh, counties or municipalities. No one in the state has actually done this. But there is specific state constitutional language that allows uh, a taxing body to do these sorts of things. So there, it's it's interesting and kind of, you know, what the options there are. I guess I just want to ask each of you what, what your favorite kind of fix is, right? Because, you know, I, I think everyone here is talking about, look, if you're going to do reassessments, you have to do reassessments plus, where you build in some kind of protections for the people who are going to be most egregiously harmed by that process. Because if we want a more equitable system, we want to get there in a way that doesn't literally force old people to sell their houses and, and, and leave the neighborhoods they've been in for 40 years. We don't want that. Um, what's your favorite way to stop that? 
So my, what I think and what I agree with, at least on a surface level is something similar to what Sarah Namorado is talking about, which includes a lot of what Philadelphia did. And it's, it's kind of what you were talking about before, um, you know, increasing the homestead exemption. I believe Philadelphia just increased it to $80,000. So that's sizable. You know, that would definitely help people right now here. It's 18,000. So it's, you know, a quarter. Now that homestead, um, that homestead exemption in this county anyway, that's only mandatory on the county itself, right? Your, your school or municipality may or may not care about your homestead exemption. Correct. There are, for example, my school district does include a homestead exemption. It's not the same, but there is something. There's different versions of it for boroughs and, and school districts across Allegheny County. And that's another option. Maybe we, uh, you know, school districts might start re respecting it. School district taxes are the highest taxes that we pay for property taxes. Um, there are currently different senior citizen tax reliefs available in Allegheny County. There is a couple different components of that, including that you need to have lived in your home for more than 10 years. Um, and there's an income component to that as well. I believe Philadelphia also reduced the income tax to help, help offset the increase of property taxes. So there's different ways of trying to kind of move it around uh, and still start from square one. One thing that I disagree with um, is the fact that this, if there was a reassessment, it would hurt disproportionately young people. I don't agree with that. Um, young people, I would assume, are recent home buyers, and as we talked about before, recent home buyers are the ones that are paying the much higher tax bills typically right now. So, I don't. Again, I don't think that there's an easy answer. It seems like both candidates that are on the ballot agree that this is not working, that something should be done. I think um, Sarah Namorado seems to have more of a proposed plan of action, although it's not very firm. But she's talking more about what steps we can do. But certainly, I think it seems that everyone agrees that this is not working and something needs to change. I, I think I have an answer, Bill, in a perfect world on how to fix this. The school district tax is two-thirds of your tax. So if you're paying 3000 in taxes on a $100,000 home, two grand of that is going to the school district. What we need to do is fund the school districts through a raised income tax. Raise the income tax from 3% to 6%, which is what they did in Georgia. So in Allegheny County, a million-dollar home pays $30,000 a year in property taxes. In Georgia, a million-dollar home pays $10,000 a year. But the people who are working pay an extra 3%. And what this would do is increase everybody's net worth immediately because your home's your greatest value. And when people buy real estate, they're basing it on what they can afford. So if the property taxes are one-third of what they are now, everybody's net worth goes up. There's no reason. And then the people who are working who can afford it pay 3% more, and we no longer have this mass chaos with the reassessment. Or not, not as great effect because it's only one-third the balance we're talking about. So the, the issue I would take at least initially in terms of skepticism with that, property taxes are weird, right? M most of the rest of the things we tax, we tax based upon – like decisions you make, right? How much money you earn or what things you purchase. There are things you can do to pay more tax or less tax. Um, property tax is one of the only places we tax ownership as such. You own an asset. You haven't done anything with it. You haven't bought it. You haven't sold it. You haven't transferred it. You haven't improved it. But because of market conditions swirling out around there, we're going to step in. Like even, even capital gains tax, you don't do that until you sell it, right? We don't come in and like, hey, your stocks went up this year. You haven't sold them, but we're going to tax you on the current value of your stock portfolio. We don't do that in any place other than real estate. It's weird. On the other hand, 
uh, we've seen a lot of issues with the fact that like the, the richest of us don't make quote unquote earned income um, and aren't subject to income taxes at the same kind of rate, right? Because they're investing instead of earning income. There's a lot of property that's owned by a lot of businesses that show no income um, on their taxes, right? A lot of businesses file taxes that show losses. They pass the money on through to shareholders or whatever. But as far as corporate books, there's a lot of corporate books where you have a lot of assets, but not a lot of income. Those, if, if what we do is move away from property tax and into income tax, all of the businesses that own giant swaths of real estate stand to save a ton in taxes. And that revenue is going to be made up by, you know, lower, lower middle and often kind of upper middle class income earners who are going to end up having to pay more because they're the ones showing income as opposed to these, uh, these corporations that own these buildings. Yeah. Now what the biggest problem I have with the current system is somebody bought a house and I've seen this for 150 or $200,000, 20 years ago. And the market's appreciated significantly, right? And the house may be worth 800 or a million dollars now. And they're 60 years old and their kids are through school. But now for the next 20 years, because they bought a house two decades ago for 200 grand, they're paying $30,000 a year from age 60 for the rest of their life without any kids in school. They're really funny. Yeah, but Noah, Noah, in that example, they've lived there for so long, their taxes are probably two grand a year. Their neighbor is probably paying 30 grand a year, <laughs> but they're not paying that much. Um, if that, well, that, that's a good point. I can't I, disagree I, with that. I have a solution and it merges. Our worlds are colliding, Jerry. Worlds are colliding! Um, I have a solution that merges the, the kind of two fundamental areas of our practice and of the subject matter this podcast has covered medical malpractice and property tax appeals. Get rid of UPMC and, and all the kind of hospital tax exemptions value their property, tax their property, and everyone else should see a tax reduction uh, <laughs> accordingly. Would we, would we get in trouble if we did a podcast on how much UPMC saves by not paying property taxes being classified as a non as a charitable entity? Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I don't think there's anyone to get us in trouble as long as our information is accurate. We have to, we have to be careful about that without having real access to UPMC's books. It's kind of hard for us to get reliable information to, to really do dollars and cents, right? Well, didn't they bring in $7 billion in revenue or $12 billion in revenue and paid zero in property taxes last year? What 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 did I just say? I haven't looked at their books. I don't know. I'm not oh, going to go asking. on the. I'm, I'm not going to go on our our non airwave airwaves here and say that that's the figure. They made a lot of money. Most of their property, and they, I'm sure they own property in a bunch of different avenues and venues, and like you know the where they own property, but it's a Seven Eleven instead operating on the store. I don't know if that Seven Eleven in Oakland is still open or not. Anyway, like some of those still end up paying some taxes on some of them, depending on how it's actually being used. But yeah, yeah, like. They're well, not being taxed on big giant hospitals that are worth millions and millions of dollars. Not to interrupt you, but this has actually been something that people have been talking about, Bill. And so I just Googled it on my phone while you were talking because I remember reading a couple articles in the last couple of years where some people have been saying, why are some of these companies that are clearly for-profit companies getting a charitable tax exemption that doesn't really make any sense? And I'm looking at a news article from pitnews.com. So that's the source, not me, <laughs> um, saying that UPMC, quote, by far benefits the most from its nonprofit status, reducing its property tax liability by $58.3 million a year. 
there you go. Yeah, we can uh, we can really help subsidize a lot of a lot of old homeowners staying in their homes if we can bring in another fifty million dollars in uh, in tax revenue, even if that ends up getting passed along in the form of. Uh, higher medical costs that then fall on those same old folks when they go to the hospital. Right. The, the, you know, it, it's a little bit whack-a-mole, right? The system always finds ways for these to pop out and it's, uh, but yeah, conceptually, you know, there's a lot of untaxed real estate um, that, that the rest of us are having to foot the bill for. Okay. So here we are. End of the day. Uh, I'll ask both of you and maybe I'll ask myself too. We'll see. Uh, Nicole, reassessment or no reassessment? Reassessment. Noah, reassessment or no reassessment? Reassessment with additional safeguards put in place. Protect the elderly, increase the homestead, and continue to reassess periodically. I'm not as clear on that as you two are. Do I want to vote? For our purposes, I'm willing to vote. Uh, no reassessment and just get outvoted two to one. Um, that's I don't know that this conclave works by those numbers anyway. Um, yeah, okay, I, I I get your arguments for a reassessment. It makes sense, um, but it's a mess either way. That's right. All right, thanks for joining us on this episode of I Strenuously Object. Hopefully, you learned something or you know have crystallized your position on the uh, eventually inevitable impending reassessment anyway this situation is not going to last um in any case please subscribe rate and review the podcast tell your friends about us if you have any questions uh that you'd like to see addressed on the podcast specifically on our mailing it in segment or any other feedback email us that's at i object at pghfirm.com uh, we are on instagram do they, do they still call that the gram or is it insta i don't know one half or the other uh, that's at I Strenuously Object Podcast. For more information on tax assessments and appeals, uh, medical malpractice, or, 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 or the local law generally, please visit the website of Flaherty Fardo, and that's at pghfirm.com. Uh, Nicole said go Bills. Uh, I say at least go Josh Allen, because what's the point of having a self-indulgent podcast if I can't talk about my guys from a fantasy perspective? Um, and until next time, some party advice. We hold the world ransom for $100 billion.